Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Hi. It's great to have you back with us. Thank you to everybody who got in touch following last week's episode. It really seemed to speak to a lot of you and we had some really interesting discussions on our Facebook group, didn't we? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And the Facebook group's kind of grown. There's nearly a thousand members now, which is amazing. Yeah, it's a real community over there, isn't it? Yeah, because somebody shared um, the other day, I mean, you're saying it's like a community. It really is, because someone shared the other day that they were going to perhaps start a blog. And everybody's been so supportive. So it makes me really happy to sit in in the group and chat with everybody. And I really enjoy it. Good. Mm. Um, So thank you everyone for joining in the group who kind of comes in chats or on Instagram and Twitter as well. And a huge thank you also to our new Patreon supporters. So we've got Tom Bertels, Leon McKenzie, Margaret A. Bordes. Oh, I knew I'd mess this up. I'm sorry, Margaret. <laughs> this um, is why I got Bethan to do it. I was like, no fucking oh, way. No, oh dear. Margaret A. Bordesdotti. I'm gonna. I'm just yeah, gonna go. Yeah, I think that's that. pretty close. Yeah. Sorry, and also to Jordan. So thank you so much, everybody. We are so grateful for your support. If, like these guys, you would like to keep the show going and gain access to loads of bonus stuff, then you can head to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. This week we head west to the United States of America and to the coastal city of Santa Cruz, which is approximately 120 kilometers south of San Francisco. Known for its moderate climate, alternative community lifestyle and socially liberal leanings, Santa Cruz is a great place to live, if you're into that sort of thing. And it's pretty upmarket too, thanks to its close proximity to Silicon Valley, the global hub of high technology and innovation. There is wealth in this city, evidenced by its marina, which is filled with fancy yachts. Oh, I love a fancy yacht. I've never been Don't on one. Don't we all? Oh. My, um, I've got some friends, actually, that are they're in the process of buying a yacht and they're going to sail around the world. Oh, my God. Um, I think I know so I who like, this is going to be. Uh, who? Go on. Anna? Yeah, it totally is. Yeah. Fancy Anna, who's, um, like, fit. <laughs> So yeah, so I'm, so I'm hoping, I know, yeah, her kind of like sailing around. Uh, we'll see how that works out. But good luck to them. It's mm-hmm. not something I'd ever do. But I know if I ever did do it, I'd want to do it on a really nice yacht. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one such yacht uh, by the name of Escape that provides the backdrop to today's episode. This 46 foot vessel was the pride and joy of Google executive Forrest Timothy Hayes. But when he bought the boat back in 2010, he could never have foreseen that his life would come to a premature end on board just three years later. Forrest was a family man who lived near to the marina in Santa Cruz in a $3 million house with his wife of 17 years, Denise, and their five children, Lauren, Danielle, Lily, Roscoe and Zosia. Now, before we move on, what are your thoughts on those names? I don't mind them. I think they're all quite nice. Um, I quite like Zosia. Zosia's different. It's weird, isn't it? I think Roscoe's Roscoe's, yeah. Um, Lauren, Danielle and Lily are quite standard at the moment they're quite normal names nowadays i think zosie is probably the most out there i think i don't think they're all right i am loving yeah. though however the name forest with double r in the middle yeah and that's his actual name i quite Isn't like that a cool that. name 
think yeah, his middle cool. name was Timothy. So his parents are obviously like, we'll give him a really cool first name and then a shit second name in case he doesn't want to use the first name. Um, <laughs> or or but maybe no, Timothy st- was his granddad or something. <laughs> well, whatever. Anyway, he stuck with Forrest. Mm, um, cool. So he, he had moved to California from Michigan in his 20s to take up a job with a company called Sun Microsystems. Not long after, he met Denise and the two built a life together on the Sunshine Coast. His career flourished when he left Sun Microsystems for a job at Apple, and by 2013, he was an executive at Google, working for the company's secretive arm, Google X, commanding a salary well into six figures. Forrest didn't discuss his job much. Santa Cruz is a tech city and careless talk can cost careers there. He worked on top secret projects for Google, including the driverless car and Google Glass, and he was handsomely rewarded for this. He loved his work, but he loved his downtime too, spending time with his family or down at the marina on his boat. But there was a darker side to Forrest. His job made him good at keeping secrets, and beneath the veneer of respectability lay a surreptitious double life that he successfully hid from those around him. Behind his wife's back, 51-year-old Forrest had set up a profile on the adult dating website Seeking Arrangement. Oh, see, I was really liking him until this. Sounded like a good guy, a real provider for a a big family, but Mm -hmm. no. Um, So for anybody who is not familiar with this particular website, it's basically a conduit for older rich men to meet younger, less rich women. Or it could be older rich women meeting young uh, non-rich guys as well. Um, And the two would enter into a mutually beneficial arrangement usually sexual, whereby the rich man or sugar daddy pays the less rich woman or sugar baby for their company. The sugar babies can set a monthly allowance that they want their sugar daddy to finance, or they can request expensive presents, apartments, whatever. You name it, there are people all over the world benefiting from these kind of arrangements on both sides. Um, I can think that they're like, that's absolutely fine. And I think fair play if you're willing to do that for money and you're willing to pay somebody because you want that connection, like fair enough. I but do sort of agree, but this married. is yeah, and like and like Forrest, forty percent of all sugar daddies on seeking arrangement are married, oh. so it is kind of promoting uh, infidelity. Mm. And I think that there was actually quite a big scandal a few years ago, you might have seen it in the news, um, where I think they've got three million members and I think pretty much every single member had their information hacked and put online. So names, email addresses, home addresses, phone numbers. So you could kind of go on online and just kind of search for your partner to see if they were ever registered on there. So I'm guessing that was probably the end of a number of marriages. Mm, Definitely. But it doesn't seem to have harmed the website or the company very much because they are still operating, as I'm sure Bethan knows all too well. (laughs) Oh, fuck off, (laughs) (laughs) Mark. I couldn't fucking resist. Uh, you're on there all the time, aren't you? Hell yeah, do anything Looking for a quick for sugar daddy. I don't blame you, yeah. Easy pays, easy lays, that's your motto. Um, anyway... So, oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, Beth, and you know I love you. 
Um, so as I said, Forrest had set up a profile on seeking arrangements and it looked as though he was fairly active on the site. He would trawl through many profiles of sugar babies who were seeking a rich daddy. Forrest had bought his yacht in 2010, just after he had left Apple to take up his executive position at Google. He paid around $350,000 for the vessel and then spent a further $200,000 refurbishing it and adding a number of security features, such as internal and external CCTV, which I thought was a bit weird. Obviously, I get external CCTV, but it always freaks me out when anyone ever puts CCTV inside their own home or on a boat in this case. I just find that really weird. No, I see, I kind of get it because I think... He's probably got some like expensive stuff inside that yacht as well. So it's all well and good someone comes onto your yacht and you can see them from the outside, but you potentially couldn't prove that they stole something inside. I do get that. I do. Yeah, I do get it. And it did come in really handy in this case. But Mm. it's like I was on a course a few weeks ago and a guy went on his mobile phone and his son was supposed to be revising for some mocks or something. And he was like, oh, I can see him sat in the living room, like not revising. And I was just oh, like, that's a bit, yeah, isn't that, is that a bit creepy. I was just like, I didn't say anything, but I was just like, no, oh. you should not be doing that because you might end up seeing stuff that you really don't want to see. It's so and difficult I was like, though, it's isn't weird. it? Like at the same time, he's then able to check that his son's safe and alive. And imagine if he'd flicked on and saw something had happened and he could call the emergency services and get someone I to do his house. Get that. Like, that's amazing. But then equally. But I think it's a gross invasion of privacy. Oh, I do as well. But then on the and flip side, when you see these cases where people think their child's perhaps been abused by the nanny or the babysitter and then they have something yeah. like that and they catch someone. So, oh, it's a really tough one, isn't it? Yeah, let us know what you think, guys. I'm getting touch in all the usual ways. But yeah, we kind of sit in, in opposite ends of the spectrum on this one, I think. Mm. Um, so anyway, the boat was Forrest's pride and joy. But from everything I've read, it appears that it was his baby, not something for the family to enjoy, something for him to enjoy. And I do wonder if the purchase of this boat coincided with the beginning of his double life. He would have needed a place to meet women in private and the yacht would have been a perfect setting for this, a way to showcase his wealth and impress young, impressionable women seeking all the benefits of being in a relationship with a wealthy older man. So I would have been quite suspicious if I was his wife, Denise. Yes, it's a boat, but essentially her husband has gone out and bought a second home that he's keeping pretty much private from her and from the rest of the family. Yeah, it's a bit different to having a shed at the bottom of the garden, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the ultimate man cave. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure the family enjoyed the odd day out on the boat, but from what I've read, it appears that it was Forrest's fiefdom, a place for him to get away from the stresses of work and family on his own to enjoy all of the things that he kept secret from them. So I'm going to take you back in time to Friday the 22nd of November in 2013. It was a warm evening and Forrest Hayes, our Google executive, was relaxing on his yacht escape after a hectic week at work. Moored in the Santa Cruz harbour, escape was surrounded by dozens of other boats, although it seemed particularly quiet on this mild November night. Forrest didn't mind though. What he had planned for later would require a certain amount of privacy. He had arranged to meet a stunning 26-year-old woman by the name of Alex Tickleman, which made me laugh, that's her name. Tickleman. I know. 
which she was kind of literally doing yeah. for cash. Um, Alex and Forrest had met through seeking arrangement and they'd already been on one date once again on the yacht approximately three weeks earlier. Alex was gorgeous. She had long, dark hair, pouty lips, and especially for Gary, curves in all the right places. <laughs> Not the typical look of a heroin addict, yet that's exactly what she was. Wow. So I've seen photos of her, and you're right, she is absolutely gorgeous, but I didn't know that she was a heroin addict. No, she, she looks look... like a young Angie, Angelina Jolie. She does and I remember when I, I, I remember this case from the time and I remember looking at her thinking, God, she just does not look like your typical drug addict. No, so it is rem- quite interesting. She really reminds me of, um, have you ever seen Orange is the New Black? Yeah, someone else said that on something I read. Um, like the girl, like she, I think she becomes her girlfriend. I'm not sure. I can't remember. It's been ages since I watched it. But that's what yeah, she I know the one you mean. Hmm. So Alex's glamorous facade belied a deeply troubled demeanour. Just two months earlier, she had lost her boyfriend to a heroin overdose and she was heading deeper and deeper into a drug-fuelled descent of debauchery. But it hadn't always been like this for Alex. She had enjoyed a stable childhood in Atlanta, one of two daughters to mum Leslie Ann, a homemaker, and dad Bart, a CEO. She got along well with her sister Monica and the family had an enviable, affluent lifestyle. Indeed, Dad Bart, not content with being just a CEO, was also a professional poker player and he even won $400,000 in one tournament, which is amazing, isn't Mm. it? Alex was a happy child who didn't want for anything. She had long blonde hair, was popular at school and she was also a keen sports player. She was clever too and showed off her creative side through writing, for which she won numerous awards at school. But things started to go wrong for her in her early teens. She developed an eating disorder and got in with a bad crowd. And it wasn't long before she started taking drugs, hard drugs. Despairing of their daughter's behaviour, her parents sent her to the exclusive Hyde boarding school in Maine. Although she only spent a few months there, she made quite the impression. By now styling herself as a goth with long black hair, friends there described her as awkward but gorgeous, and they could see that she was troubled. She barely ate and was worryingly thin, and friends there described her as emotionally switched off, like she was dead inside. She had also started cutting herself before arriving at Hyde, and her arms were covered in scars. But, said friends, beneath this awkward and slightly scary exterior was a really nice girl. She was popular but often in trouble. The school didn't know how to handle her and instead of offering what was probably so desperately needed, psychotherapy, they chose to punish her by forcing her to do manual labour. I'm like, what? Isn't that weird? Yeah, so weird. I saw an interview where her friend talks about it. And I mean, this bit makes me laugh, actually. But yeah, one friend later described how she and Alex, as punishment, were forced to build a road through through the campus. I'm like, like, what the fuck? Manual labor. That's ridiculous. Isn't that weird? Like, it was only a bit of a dirt track kind of thing. It wasn't like a concrete road, but how random. That's so strange. That's the sort of thing you understand that would make sense when you've got a prison, for example, and that's what people are sentenced to. But this is supposed to be school. Yeah, this is like a North Korean concentration camp. So the same friend revealed that she was woken by Alex one night, screaming with blood spurting from her arm as she cut herself. 
Again, there was no offer of help, just punishment. As I said, Alex didn't stay long at Hyde, just a few months. Her parents took her out of the school and placed her in other educational establishments, none of which were able to rein in her wild behaviour. By now, barely in her mid-teens, Alex was taking heroin and staying out all night. By her early 20s, she'd moved to San Francisco and was working in strip clubs to fund her addiction to heroin. Her life lurched from one disastrous relationship to another and she'd already registered on seeking arrangement by this point, pursuing rich guys for easy cash. I mean, you can understand why you would go from that to that because working in a strip club, you're going to have seedy men, you're going to have potential abuse, whereas these guys would perhaps treat you a lot better. So I can understand where you'd kind of go from one to the other, definitely. Yeah, I think it probably put her in more control and Mm. she, the guys would have profiles. They are, you know, actively looking for sugar babies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they would say what they're willing to offer and she on her profile would say what she was willing to offer them. So Mm -hmm. I think it probably was a safer way to do it, although obviously that's never safe, um, but probably a nicer environment Mm -hmm. Uh, to to seek those relationships and than a, a strip club, I guess. By 2013, now aged 26, Alex had decided to move back home to Georgia in a desperate bid to get herself clean. Her mum paid for her to go to rehab, but it didn't work. Less than a week after leaving the clinic, Alex was back on heroin and frequenting the seedy clubs in and around Georgia. And it was at one such club that Alex met her next boyfriend, a man named Dean. Dean was twice Alex's age and a successful businessman. He owned the Masquerade Club, which was kind of half nightclub, half music venue. And I thought when I kind of read a description of it, because it's still going, it's still a really successful club and it's massive. It's this huge Mm. venue. Mm. And I looked at it and I thought that is so the sort of place that you would have frequented Bethan in your early 20s and late teens. And not actually being a prick about it, like genuinely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not being a dick. You would have fucking loved it. Seriously. Go online and have a look at it. Next time you're in Atlanta, you must go and check it out. Mm. Anyway, Dean was just Alex's type, rich and successful. He didn't know that she was a heroin addict when he first met her, and theirs was a whirlwind romance, with Alex moving into Dean's lavish mansion just weeks after meeting him. But the honeymoon period was soon over when Dean discovered Alex's stash. He confronted her about her use of heroin and wanting the relationship to work, Alex admitted that she was an addict, but she claimed that she was so desperate to get help at any cost. And so Dean paid for her to go into an expensive rehab clinic for several weeks. When she left the clinic, she was clean and her head was clear for the first time in ages. Oh, brilliant. That's because obviously before she was back on it really quickly. Yeah, this was probably the longest period that she'd gone um, being clean. And I think she was genuinely in love with Dean. It really was a proper relationship. Just because he was rich, it wasn't like a sugar daddy, sugar baby situation. Theirs was a real loving relationship. Mm. So Dean bought her a stunning diamond engagement ring and he promised her that they would marry if she could remain clean for the next 12 months. So he's really supportive as well. Amazing. I think I think he was. Yeah. Um, But Alex just couldn't manage it. Within weeks of leaving rehab, she was once again taking heroin. Oh, God. See, do you know what? I was kind of expecting something like that, but I was hoping not. 
And I was, I, you know, I was going to talk in detail about heroin at this point, but mm. I don't want to patronize everybody because we all know what heroin is. But, um, you know, it's not surprising that she went back to it because it is one of the most addictive drugs out there. Mm. And the withdrawal symptoms are both psychological and physical. Mm-hmm. Um, and around a million Americans will have used heroin in the last year. Wow. So. I know, which is quite shocking, isn't it? I think there's about 260 million people in America. So one in 250 are are kind of a recent or active user of heroin and not not just opioids because they've got a massive problem with opioids, but with actual specific heroin. So after suffering a steady decline in recent decades, heroin's popularity is, as I said, surging now. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about it because for Alex, coming off this drug, even with expert medical help, would have been torture. And I really do actually sympathise mm, with her. Yeah, definitely. Not obviously because I'm a heroin addict or I've ever been mm. on it and know what it's like to try and come off it. But I think, you know, it's easy to kind of bash her and say she had all this help. She had people paying for her to go to rehab. And it's almost like this is how she's repaid them. She's kind of come out and gone back on it. But it's just not like that. It's so hard to give that drug up. Yeah, I think like even with all that, that was like asking the impossible. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course you do because you wrote it. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, cut that bit out. But I just. I will, I will. I will. I liked how you'd said it, so I was like, "Oh, I'm going to have to make sure I mention." Steal it, it, you fucking bitch! Hell yeah. Dean, Alex's boyfriend, was by contrast living a clean lifestyle when he met Alex. Despite working in the nightclub industry, which, as we all know, is rife with drugs, mm-hmm. he didn't take them himself, and he didn't even drink. Oh wow! Maybe that's why yeah. he was so successful, though. Because he kept a clean, clear head. Possibly, yeah. His passion was his business and monkeys, which is a bit bizarre. But (laughs) he owned several monkeys and kept them in the extensive grounds of his mansion. That's, um, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. What else are you going to buy? Yeah, I kind of get it. I think, why not? And he appeared on a local news station with Alex, actually, um, where they did a feature on the monkeys. And he kind of talked of his dream being to have a monkey sanctuary uh, within the grounds of his house, which is just lovely, isn't it? A monkey sanctuary. That's amazing. So, as I said, Dean was this clean living guy. So how did he come to die of a heroin overdose just weeks after Alex had returned home from rehab? Alex told police she was in the bathroom when she heard a loud crash. She raced to the bedroom where she found Dean on the floor. She checked for a pulse, but there wasn't one. She called 911, but it was too late. By the time the emergency services had arrived, Dean was dead. So I'm assuming you're going to tell me it was something to do with Alex. Like, what the hell? He wouldn't have had Well, hold that those. thought because we'll, we'll come back to it definitely at the end. But wow. it is weird because he was this clean living guy. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, his girlfriend was a heroin addict and he knew that. But that was not something that he um, in, involved himself in other than to try mm. and get her off heroin. Yeah. Just 10 days before his fatal overdose, officers discovered that he'd made a shocking discovery about Alex. He had found her online advertising herself to men on seeking arrangement. Dean knew Alex had a shady past, but he thought it was just that, a past. Yes, she had struggled with a heroin addiction since moving back to Atlanta, but he was convinced she would recover with his help. He knew they had a long road ahead of them, but he was there for her. 
But as far as he was concerned, in every other aspect of her life, Alex had moved on. So this discovery came as a terrible blow to Dean. He confronted Alex and the pair rowed. He threatened to kick her out of the house, but when push came to shove, he just couldn't do that to her. He wanted to help her, but he felt betrayed. Over the next 10 days, a previously clean living Dean hit the bottle. Hard. Friends said his life began to fall apart. He couldn't bear to be with Alex and he couldn't bear to be apart from her. He couldn't win. His 10-day spiral into depression following his discovery of Alex's betrayal ended in him injecting a fatal dose of heroin into his veins with Alex in the room next door. Oh my god, I can't get over that. So he then just started drinking and... Yeah, it just kind of sent him into this spiral of despair. Wow. As far as we know. Um, Maybe it was suicide. Maybe he thought this was the ultimate way to get revenge on Alex. To kill himself with the very drug she appeared to love more than him. To show her the amount of damage it could do. I don't know. Officers did investigate Dean's death, but they did rule it to be a case of misadventure. However, his friends and family had suspicions. And as I said, we'll come back to that a bit later. Following Dean's death, Alex moved back to California at the end of October and she moved in with her mother. Dean's death and the subsequent upheaval to her life meant that she was more dependent on heroin than ever before. As soon as she arrived back in California, she logged into seeking arrangements. Just two days later, she had a potential client texting a friend. Amazing guy found me on SA. He is the real deal. Tomorrow, I'm going to go on his boat for a few hours and he's going to give me four or five hundred in cash. Now, we'll never know for sure, but it would appear this amazing guy was none other than Forrest Hayes, our Google executive from Santa Cruz. What we do know is that just three weeks later, Alex would once again be enjoying his company on escape, his 46-foot yacht moored in Santa Cruz Harbour. So let's go back to that night again. As I said earlier, it's a mild November evening. The water is still and Forrest is feeling nervous. He's met Alex before, probably, but there is always that nagging thought that someone might see him and blow the whistle to his wife, Denise. Still, it's quiet tonight. The boating community appear to be at the yacht club or in the various restaurants and bars that surround the harbour. Forrest waits patiently for Alex to arrive. He has that familiar feeling of nervousness and excitement in his tummy. He is looking forward to enjoying the company of a beautiful woman, young enough to be his daughter, and he is also looking forward to taking heroin. Oh, That's a bit of a twist. Possibly for the first time, we don't know. Uh, Possibly he'd done it with her before. Forrest can now hear Alex in the distance, her high heels click-clacking unsteadily as she makes her way down the gangway and towards his yacht. Greeting her with a quick embrace, the two begin to engage in conversation, before Forrest pours them each a glass of wine in the cabin of his yacht. While he does this, Alex sits cross-legged on the floor. She grabs her purse and pulls out a piece of shiny tin foil before carefully unwrapping it with her thumb and forefinger to reveal a matte brown powder. She grabs a small spoon from her purse and a lighter and heats the powder until it forms a bubbling liquid, releasing a pungent vinegary smell into the air. Did you know that's what heroin smelt like? No, vinegar. Yeah, me Mm. neither. I think sometimes it might be because... 
do they add like they add an alkali to it or an acid maybe it's like an alkali like vinegar and they have to add like lemon juice sometimes i add to it to balance it out really oh okay i've it's not something i've yeah. ever really um looked into very much um heroin. no it's me not neither something I know but, anything about to be honest but then when i read i read this description yeah. like not of this but i kind of looked at what does heroin mm. smell like and people were like oh it's vinegary or it can smell obviously quite chemically and i just mm. thought that's so interesting because it's not the sort of smell you would ever know unless you were a heroin addict or knew people yeah. heroin. So I just thought that's so interesting to know what it smells like. Mm-hmm. So Forrest takes a seat in front of Alex on the cream leather sofa, popping the two glasses of wine down on a table beside him. Alex grabs a syringe from her bag now and dexterously manages to suck the brown contents from the spoon into the syringe before injecting herself in the arm. She makes it look so easy. Her head falls backwards as the heroin courses through her veins, hitting her brain and delivering that euphoric high that is oh so familiar to her. Forrest looks on, mesmerised by her contorted face. See, that makes me feel like he perhaps has done it before. Like... Yeah, I mean, he must have known that she was doing it. She's not yeah. just kind of gone to his yacht on this kind of date where they're probably going to have sex and then just shot heroin up. Mm. I reckon they'd probably done it before or maybe they'd talked about it on that previous date and he'd said, oh, I'd love to know what it's like. And she'd said, you know, next time I'll bring some and we can do it together. Yeah, I just think his reaction sounds quite serene perhaps so i don't know interesting yeah and also maybe quite naive mm-hmm. um i don't know he's mesmerized by what it's doing to her alex regains her senses and looks at forest he looks nervous and uncertain but also willing and excited alex now injects him in the arm but almost immediately it becomes apparent that something is wrong forest is clearly in distress Alex tries to revive him by gently patting him on the face, begging him to come round, but he is still. He is silent. She holds his head as he slumps forward on the chair. She would later say that she thought he was simply in a drug-induced sleep. But she's patting him on the face and begging him to come round. Yeah, exactly. Alex gets up and what she does next throws huge doubt on her character and her version of events. With Forrester now on the floor, either dead or at the very least unconscious from a heroin overdose, Alex spends seven minutes on the yacht, removing any trace of evidence that she was ever there. She wipes fingerprints from surfaces, puts her drug paraphernalia in her bag, and as she darts around the cabin of the yacht, she steps over Forrest's lifeless body several times, as if he were a piece of rolled-up carpet. Oh my god. And I'm assuming then this is what you were saying about the CCTV. This is all being captured? It's all, all of this is recorded, (gasps) yeah. Oh my god. And I've not been able to find the CCTV, um, but it's described in detail. Mm. The fact that she's stepping over his lifeless body a few times just sounds um, very dismissive. Yeah, it's like she's... But then she has taken heroin, so... Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's almost like a feeling of disassociation for her when, Mm. I guess, you know, that behaviour, but that's probably how she feels. But the worst is yet to come because when she finishes cleaning up, she steps over Forrest's body one final time to reach for her glass of wine. She grabs the glass, surveys the scene in front of her before taking a large gulp of the wine and heading for the exit. 
As she leaves the yacht, she swings back around to pull the blinds down before making her way down the gangway towards the water's edge. So she's, so she's not pulled... this affected by this, the heroin then? She's walking around and making well, decisions no. like yeah. that? And she's even gone back to pull the blinds down yeah. so people can't see, like, into the <sighs> yacht. Because whereas I mean, what she should be doing is ringing the ambulance service. and Of course, totally. Yeah, you want to get out of there because you don't want to be caught with heroin, but you can't just leave him there to pretend, like, pretty much you're left, you've left him there to die. Yeah, she knows what's <sighs> going to happen to him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but can you can you picture her literally, you know, she spent seven minutes cleaning up after herself. Mm-hmm. He's on the floor, probably foaming at the mouth, quite clearly dead um, or dying. And, you know, in one last act of just complete fucking bitchness, mm-hmm. she steps over his body to grab a glass of wine, yeah. swirls it around in her hand and surveys the scene before her before taking a large gulp and fucking off. <sighs> Yeah. It's just callous. It's the sort of thing mm-hmm. you do, Beth, and that is, isn't it? <laughs> oh my god! Like I just can't even. Yeah, callous is the is exactly the word. It really is, isn't it? So as evening turned to night, Denise, Forrest's wife, is back at home at their sprawling mansion a few miles away. It's not like Forrest to be out so late, and when she is repeatedly unable to contact him on his mobile, she calls the captain of the yacht, asking him to go and check on Forrest. So I did think, why has he got a captain? But, um, I th- you know, this guy is so rich, he just wanted a boat. He doesn't necessarily know how to sail it, mm. you know, himself. So he even employs a, a captain. When he arrives at the boat, he discovers Forrest on the floor where Alex had left him. He is cold to the touch and very clearly dead. The captain calls 911 and detectives arrive and seal off the crime scene. They notice a visible injection mark on Forrest's arm, although there is no sign of any drugs. On the side are two wine glasses, and one has a lipstick stain on it. They know someone else has been on board, but who? During their search of the yacht, officers noticed CCTV cameras covering the boat's interior, and they knew this would be the key to solving the mystery of this Google executive's death. And it took months and a court order for police to obtain the footage. And up until that point, they had very little to go on. They'd managed to get into Forrest's mobile phone and they'd seen that he had a profile on seeking arrangement. But there was no message history. There was no credible lead for them to pursue. While they continued their investigations, they managed to keep the case from the media's attention. Mindful that the revelation of specific details could hinder the investigation. When they finally attained the CCTV footage, they saw exactly what happened on that fateful night. But just who was this striking woman parading around in front of the cameras? Heavily tattooed, she was distinctive and working on a hunch, a number of officers trawled through hundreds of profiles on seeking arrangements. Eventually, they stumbled upon Alex's profile, the heavily tattooed striking woman from the CCTV footage. Police now began to track her movements through her social media pages, and they kept a close eye on her. They knew she was likely responsible for Forrest's death, whether this was murder or not, but they still didn't have a strong enough case to bring charges against her. When she talked of moving back to Georgia or even abroad, detectives realised they had to move quickly, and so they hatched a plan to entrap her. They got an officer to set up a profile on seeking arrangement using the name Sebastian. He reached out to Alex asking if she would meet with him for sex in exchange for several hundred dollars. 
And in order to really lure their bait, I can never say that fucking word. Yeah. Um, Sebast- yeah. Lure. Sebastian said that he was looking for a long-term mistress, one whom he could set up with a monthly allowance. Oh, yeah, she's so, definitely going to go for that. She was fucking all over that, yeah. Um, a clearly excited Alex agreed to meet her suitor, dollar signs pinging in her eyes. However, when she turned up as arranged, she was arrested for prostitution, drug possession and taken to a mm. nearby police station. It was there that she was charged in connection with the death of Forrest Hayes before being remanded in custody. Up until this point, Alex had managed to put the terrible incident to the back of her mind, helped in no small part to the vast quantities of heroin she was still consuming. Sure, she had read that Forrest had died, but she didn't see herself as being culpable for his death. As far as she was concerned, what happened that night was between two consenting adults. Yes, she injected him with the drugs, but had she not, he would have done it to himself, and the consequences would have been the same. In her mind, all she was guilty of was leaving the scene and not calling for help. All the way up until her pre-trial hearing, this would remain her defence while her team of lawyers built their case. However, she pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter, drug possession and prostitution at this pre-trial hearing. In an act of remorse, she apologised through her lawyers to the Hayes family, saying it was a terrible accident that she had panicked and that there were so many times on her way home that night that she thought about pulling over and calling 911. Bit like you said, what she should have done. But she didn't. She left him there to die, and for this she was guilty, but also remorseful. And I would actually say that she was genuinely remorseful from everything that I've read. Mm. I almost get the feeling that she'd been swayed by her legal team up until this point, that they were probably telling her, you can get away with this. Yes, it's a bit of a risk, but you can probably get off on a technicality. Mm -hmm. But maybe her remorse and her guilt took over, and she realised that she wanted to do things her way the right way Mm. obviously i might be wrong but that's how it comes across to me and in several interviews that i've seen subsequently she does seem genuinely remorseful and i guess the difficulty is is yes on the cctv she looks like she's very blasé and she's you know cleaning up after herself but she had just injected heroin so she's obviously not going to be acting in the way that you or i would be acting in that situation Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true that at a certain time she was thinking about pulling over and calling 911. Maybe that is the case. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if it was. Mm. And she also said really as part of her defence that, you know, the reason she acted in that way, that she cleaned up after herself and wanted to remove any trace of another woman being there that night was to save Forrest's family from the embarrassment that he was seeing a woman there, which does kind of make sense. No, it's also a bit of a... It's also a very convenient way of, yeah, getting off, isn't it? Mm, the thing that I'm a, I find a bit difficult is that her ex has died of a heroin overdose. Like two yeah. exes have died of this. So would you I really know. act calmly in that situation? Um, that's where I'm kind of struggling with her. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a, mm. in a moment. Alex was sentenced to six years in jail. And because she had already served 12 months on remand, she only ended up serving a further two years before being released. Wow. Which is crazy, really, isn't it? Well, I suppose that's half the sentence, which is which is often quite... It's often the case, isn't it? You kind of do half, as long as you've been well-behaved and continued, yeah. then you might get And wrong. I've done a bit of a half-job Harry here, because I, I don't even know uh, exactly what she was convicted of. 
um you know so i think it was like um i don't know like whatever america has in terms of like manslaughter essentially homicide maybe? i think no. it was culpable something like that yeah i'm not I mean, not very she's okay with america to the drug possession and the prostitution perhaps that was enough as well yeah, but sometimes that, those sentences run concurrently. Mm-hmm, that's true, um, actually. So I don't know. Um, but in a weird twist, Forrest's family didn't actually want her charged in relation to his death. Oh, wow. They didn't, yeah, they didn't want a show trial and they didn't want the humiliation of having the CCTV footage from the boat played in court and subsequently mm. released to the media. So I don't know that, if they. Yeah, I totally totally get it. And, you know, to me, it was kind of the motivation is around protecting Forrest rather than, you know, just not wanting her charged because they don't see that mm-hmm. she's guilty. So I, I don't know whether there was a bit of both in it or it was more around protecting Forrest's reputation. I think it's, yeah, protecting yourself as well, like you and your family, just not to have that embarrassment. Yeah, but I mean, obviously there is embarrassment and everyone knows about it. Mm-hmm. So, um Essentially, people agreed that the only thing Alex was really guilty of was not doing enough that night. Did she really think he was in a drug-induced sleep as she left him? Or did she know that he'd overdosed and was either dying or had died? Either way, I think it's safe to say this is not a case of culpable homicide. I'd so fuck knows what she was kind of done for. Um, Don't don't write a load of shit reviews, people, saying that we don't do enough research. (laughs) It wasn't my episode, guys. Slate yeah, Mark. just you can slate me. Who cares? Um, so the three years Alex spent in jail actually helped turn her life around. She underwent several treatment programs, and when she was released, she was clean and sober for the first time in a decade and a half. She'd also grown close to her family, and although she was deported back to Canada upon a release, and I don't know why, she must have been from there, uh, she has since remarked that she feels safer there. She said if she returned to California, she would be constantly in fear that the police would try and set her up for a crime that she didn't commit, as they didn't really feel that they got justice for Forrest. In an obituary posted in the Santa Cruz Sentinel, Forrest's family remembered their loving husband, father, son and brother, saying Forrest Timothy Hayes was born on the 10th of May in 1962 to his parents Herbert and Virginia Hayes. He was the beloved husband of 17 years to Denise and the loving father of Lauren, Danielle, Lily, Roscoe and Zosia. His brilliant mind, contagious smile and warm embrace will be missed and cherished in memories by his family and friends. So what do you think of today's episode? Is this a case of a lack of morals or is it truly criminal behaviour? For me, I just don't know. I think Alex was certainly fucked up, obviously dependent on drugs, not in her right mind. Maybe she did know that Forrest was dying when she left, but maybe she knew there was nothing she or anybody else could do to save him, that it was too late and she might as well get out of there. Or maybe there was more to it. As I said earlier, just two months before Forrest's death, Alex's boyfriend, Dean, had died from a heroin overdose also. He too was a seemingly normal man, one who was not known to indulge in drugs. Had Alex injected him with heroin on the night of his death? We only have her word to go on that she heard a loud crash coming from the bedroom and then discovered Dean dead. Maybe she was in the room with him administering the fatal dose. Thoughts, Bethan? Wow. It's so so difficult. I think, first of all, 
Um, I had a quick Google and she is she was convicted of two felony charges of involuntary manslaughter and administering drugs. So there we go. That was yeah. That was what she was done for. Um, I just find this really difficult because her behaviour afterwards is very calculated and calm. And it sounds like from the descriptions of the CCTV that she was thinking about what she was doing, wiping down fingerprints, that sort of thing. But yet, I just, I just don't know. Dean, straight away, I was thinking, well, he probably wouldn't have taken drugs, but then equally, he didn't drink and he started drinking. So my thinking is potentially that both these guys, their bodies just weren't used to the amount of heroin that her body would be used to. And it was an accident. But yeah, personally, I reckon she had something to do with Dean. And then Mm, the reason that she was then cleaning her fingerprints and stuff to do with Forrest is because this has happened before and maybe she was just thinking like, oh shit, they're going to find out that I've done this again or or, shit, the same thing's happened again, perhaps. Mm. um, The the police did reinvestigate Dean's death, but they still found it to be um, misadventure. So, you know, nobody else was involved. Either way, would they? No, they wouldn't. It was far too late. Um, and what weirdly, one of um, Dean's friends did actually say after his death that he wondered whether Dean, um, by way of kind of getting on some deep level with Alex, decided to take heroin to sort of experience what it was like, what she was so obsessed with and, and why. You know, it was kind of a big part of her life mm. and he was obsessed with her. And, you know, to kind of know her on a really deep level, maybe he needed to experience that drug for himself. Um, so maybe that was the case. And I think I think whatever happens, you know, whatever happened, you're definitely right. I think both Dean and Forrest weren't used to taking heroin and they had far too big a dose and obviously overdosed. So mm. they obviously weren't regular users like her. Um, yeah. And she should have known that she should have given them a smaller dose. What a if that's what she did. Like tragic story of just how this drug has just ruined so many lives. Like this is just. And whilst we shouldn't really have that much sympathy for Alex, I I do a little bit. I found myself sympathising yeah. for her because I think to be addicted to a hard drug like heroin, can you imagine how? debilitating that is and how how you would feel so trapped by that drug mm-hmm. it's just it must be it's something i've never experienced but it's almost like a living nightmare i would have thought to be trapped in what is essentially a sort of abusive relationship isn't it mm-hmm. absolutely and i'm the same as you i've i've never had an addiction to anything like that and i think i'm quite lucky because i don't have an addictive personality in general so i've never really had like even as soon as I found out I was pregnant, I just stopped drinking. And you know what I'm like. I love a glass of wine. Yeah, you bloody wine. love to drink. I'd yeah. have a drink every night. But then as soon as I had to stop, I did. And I didn't have any issues with that. Apart from when it got nice in the summer, I was like, oh, I want a cold glass of champagne in the garden. But that was just more of like, it would be nice. Yeah. Even the, I've never had the experience of what it is to be addicted to something. So I think that's perhaps where I've got so much sympathy for her because I just think, Christ, she tried on two occasions to get clean. And yeah, 
and couldn't couldn't do it and i think i personally think did something happen to her in childhood because up until sort of you know slight pre-teen age Mm. she was this normal happy-go-lucky girl and then as soon as she kind of hit early teens her life just spiraled out of control so you know she was self-harming she was taking drugs misbehaving at school was she um, suffering post-traumatic stress disorder and self-medicating through self-harm and drugs? You know, had something happened? I really hope not. But we do see that from time to time. So, uh, you know, that that could be the case. But I think the great thing is actually that, you know, she, she has served her punishment that the courts deemed fit. And, um, you know, she has turned her life around now. She lives in Canada. She's got her own apartment. She doesn't even drink anymore, let alone take drugs. So you know, she grabbed this opportunity with both hands and thought, I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to get on every program I can to come off this shit. And as far as I know, she's managed to stay off it. Wow. I mean, that's, that's at least something out of this whole story, but oh yeah, there's just trail of destruction left behind her. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know, ultimately you can't forget there is, you know, there are several victims here. There's Forrest, but then, you know, he had several daughters and a a loving wife. Yeah. Um, you know, they have lost their dad there. Uh, you know, Denise has lost a husband and his parents have lost a son. So, um, you know, that's tragic and it's, it's really humiliating consequences surrounding his death. Mm. For all that to come out in the public domain. And then we're adding to that by doing a show on it. But that's a topic for another time. Maybe yeah. I'll do a blog on that. Um, let us know what you guys think. You can get in touch on Facebook. Should we do a discussion thread on this again? Yeah, definitely. So what I'm thinking works quite well, and let me know, guys, if you think it does, is we'll obviously put the post up on um, a Monday and let you know what the case is going to be. And then once the case is released on the Wednesday, change that into the discussion thread so you can talk afterwards um, about what you thought. So if you want to have um, any discussion around this episode, come and look for the picture that I'm going to put up um, that I would have put up already on the Monday when you listen to this I get really confused with when when I'm talking like I know because like when we're recording and like whatever when you listen Um, to this go back on the Facebook group and look at the picture look at Monday's post and you'll see pictures (laughs) yeah which you will have done by then which I will have done Um, by then Um, it's like a mind fuck isn't it yeah we're, um, but the Facebook group's really great. So if you have a look, it is a closed group. But basically, we've got a couple of questions. If you're a listener to the show, just put your listen. Don't worry about the other questions and you'll be accepted. Don't worry. So come and join us and let yeah. us know what you think. And also check us out on Instagram and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and also don't forget to support the show on Patreon if you are able to, if you want to. Your support through Patreon makes so much difference to us. And it genuinely means that we can continue with the show. And I think we've got 83 people supporting us that way now. It's so it's, it's really, yeah, it's a really weird feeling. And, you know, we are so grateful for that support. So head to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast. As Mark always says, you can ensure we're around for a long time not just a good time (laughs) get your own sayings (laughs) it does it blows Uh, my mind though honestly it blows my mind that people are able to and want to support us in that way so thank you very much everybody who does and thank you everybody who reviews us as well um quite often we'll put a little post up about some reviews that we've had and we really appreciate everyone who just takes time to to get in touch with us yeah thank you so much everyone um so until next time we will see you then bye bye (laughs) bye bye